Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 60. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm your host, Benny Lewis, as always, and uh, this time doing something a little different. I've invited a Fluent in Three Months team member, Katie Pascoe, onto the call today. And uh, she works behind the scenes doing multiple things, mainly working on the uh, podcast edits that you guys have been listening to. But she, of course, has her own language learning story. And I wanted to focus on sharing that with you today. Great to have you here, Katie. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. Yes. So I'd, lo- I'd love to hear from your perspective and your own, in your own words, uh, what your language learning story is, because, you know, you've got loads of travels, you've lived abroad. Uh, wh- how did it all start? Good question. I've been racking my brains to think like where I could trace it back to. Um, and I suppose my first kind of experience with foreign languages was when I was growing up. Um, my mum is from India. And so I would be around my mum and her parents um, speaking Punjabi a lot. Now, I don't speak Punjabi. I was never taught Punjabi. Um My dad doesn't speak it. So we don't speak it in our house, but that's kind of my first memory of a foreign language would be kind of trying to eavesdrop and figure out um, what was being discussed um, by that side of the family. So after that, um, a bit of a break, really not, not much. When I was at primary school, we did a bit of French, but I never really got on with it. At secondary school, though, I really enjoyed German. Um, That was one thing that I really I know it's a subject I always really liked. And I think it's probably because I really like talking. Um, and I just really enjoyed the opportunity to, to speak and be able to speak with more people and, you know, hear what they have to say and just converse, you know, with a wider range of people. I also remember that I really enjoyed uh, learning all the Latin words when I was studying uh, piano. I much preferred the theory to the practical and learning the Latin words. And my dad would help me with little mnemonics um, to help me remember the Latin words. So that was kind of my childhood and languages. And then I went on to study German at university, actually. Unfortunately, I've lost most of my German now. Probably I haven't spoken German for quite a long time now. It's probably there somewhere, obviously, but but I've not been using that um, for a while. But after university, um, my partner and I, David, who you know, also works for the team. We moved to South Korea. And while I was there, I did try to learn some Korean. Um, I mean, I could get by in a restaurant because food above all else is my passion. So I need to be able to speak about food and order food. Um, But I didn't get on too well with any further learning. Uh, I think having come from the more formal kind of university education. I was a bit too fixated on needing to understand the whys of everything and and get into the the weeds of it a bit too much. And so I kind of just hit a bit of a block there um, because I wasn't putting any effort into studying it formally or or really teaching myself. I was just trying to pick it up and I kept getting a bit stuck on the the lack of understanding of the the grammar, I suppose. Um, But like I said, enough to get by and um, really enjoyed you know, communicating with people in the shops, just using body language and facial expressions. And it was really great. I mean, I had a wonderful time in, in South Korea. So I would, I would really like to, to put some effort into to maybe learning Korean at some point um, to connect back with that culture again. Um, so then we came back to the UK for a bit and then eventually we moved to Brazil. And before moving to Brazil, um, 
David spent quite a lot of time working on his Portuguese because he was going to be working. Um, he's a, he was a chemical engineer, so he was going to be working in in kind of a a factory um, using his Portuguese. Um, I didn't really put much effort in before we went, um, but when I got there, I started taking Portuguese lessons and. Spanish just kept coming out of my mouth. I'd done a little bit of Spanish at uni as kind of like a, just a few credits on the side. And I didn't know I really remembered any of it. But when I started trying to speak Portuguese, Spanish would come out. So that was quite interesting to, to just see how the brain works in that way. Um, and so we got, we did quite well, both of us, I would say with the Portuguese, obviously David has to, had to use it at work and he was hearing it all the time. Um, and I was working quite hard on my lessons and we, we had some, you know, quite a lot of Brazilian friends. So we did get the opportunity to use it quite a lot, which was great. Then back to the UK, fast forward a little bit more and we moved to Spain. So again, we needed to, to, well, I saw it as kind of convert the Portuguese into Spanish is how I kind of saw it in my mind because I'd already experienced that there was quite a strong link there, obviously, between the two languages. Um, so for me, it wasn't too daunting of a prospect, I think, because I have um, that formal experience of, of having studied German and, and then I had quite quite good success with the Portuguese. And I have to say, I, I don't really put that much effort into my languages, um, generally speaking. I've been quite, I think I rely quite heavily on cognates and just a, a general understanding of, of people you know, body language. I think it comes from, from eavesdropping on my mum and, and nanny having these conversations. I think I just have a sense of what people are saying, maybe even if I don't really understand it. So I wasn't too worried about the Spanish. And for quite a while, I didn't, after we moved to Spain, I didn't put too much effort in. I was teaching English. So I was surrounded by English all the time. And when we first moved there, the first friends we made, they weren't British people, but they were, they'd spent a lot of time living in Britain. So they were all way better at English than I could ever imagine being in Spanish. So when you start a relationship in one language, it's very hard to then convert it to another. So most of my time in Spain, I was speaking English. Um, it's weird to talk about it in the past tense because we've literally only been back for a week. Um, but for David, it was quite interesting because he really wanted to you know, start with his best foot forward with the Spanish. And so he hadn't had a great first experience in Brazil because um, it's the classic, like you always say, speak from day one, but he, we didn't, he didn't, you know, he was doing his audio books and his studying from books. And then when he arrived in Brazil, that first taxi ride absolutely stumped, couldn't understand anything, couldn't say anything. So um, we can talk a bit more about, about his kind of first steps with Spanish a bit later, but it was an interesting transition kind of, and he still speaks Spanish with a bit of a Portuguese twang, which I think is quite funny. But um, yeah, I think my my general kind of language learning experience has been that formal side with the German and then just kind of winging it with the Portuguese and especially with the Spanish. Um, and then, yeah, that's, that's probably about it up till now. Okay. So um, I know that a lot of people who would be listening uh, have a couple's dynamic when it comes to language learning. So um, obviously, like it's been more central to, to David's line of work um, to be absorbing the language. Like, like you said, he was working as an engineer and such. Uh, so like, how have the two of you had a dynamic that supported language learning and how have you helped him to uh, get better momentum in his languages? Um, it's, it's interesting because I think 
One big difference between us is that I'm a bit of a a geek when it comes to I get very excited about like oh look at this word it's it it's comes from this root and you can see the connection with the English or, or you know whatever those little geeky little paths you can go on um and David doesn't really have so much of that innate passion for the for the subject of languages in general um for him it's a bit more of a a, a task I suppose whereas for me it's more of a a hobby or it's an enjoyment um but where where we've worked together well I mean first of all Anything that involves a number over a hundred, I have to re- refer to him. I, I, I'm terrible with numbers. And that would be my one takeaway from my Spanish experience is the next language I learn, I'm not going to skip the work with regards to numbers because it's very embarrassing when you don't know numbers. And I really have failed on that front so far. Um, so we support each other in that way in terms of you know, we, if we're having a conversation where we're both present, we can fill in each other's gaps quite well. Um, but I think we just try to integrate it into our everyday lives as best we can. We don't speak Spanish together, really. I mean, we have been recently as a, just when we've, because we're isolating, we're quarantining currently, um, cause we've just come back from Spain and we're separate. So when we've been talking on the phone, we've been trying to, to keep it alive a little bit, but generally we will, um, always have Spanish subtitles on when we're watching anything on Netflix, even if we're watching it in English, um, we'll have the subtitles on because it's just funny sometimes to be able to see new vocabulary. I, I mean, we're not paying a lot of attention to it, but it's great to just have it there. Um, we also try and watch one show that we're watching together will be in Spanish, even if it's, um, we're watching a dubbed version of a, an American show or something. So we try to integrate it that way. And we have some friends in common who, well, had in Spain that, that we would speak to in Spanish. Um, but in terms of the studying, we have very different approaches and we have very different interests. Um, so we haven't really done too much, uh, of the actual learning process together, more the maintenance and the kind of the fun bits we'll do together. And it, it was really nice that by the time we left Spain, up until that point, up until quite recently, I suppose, up until the pandemic, at least, when we were in a conversation together with a, with a native speaker, I, a lot of the, the weight would fall on me to be leading like the, from our side, the conversation and maybe helping Dave out a little bit with, with um, anything he wasn't understanding. But, but by the time we left, he was definitely at a level where we were more or less equal partners in the conversation, which was really nice um, to be able to kind of share that experience a lot more equally. So yeah, it was, it was pretty fun. It's, it's, a, it's a nice thing to do together, I think. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that um, uh, his, first, his first steps for learning Spanish were interesting in and of themselves. So what, what did you mean by that? Um, because when we were thinking of moving to Spain, um, coincided with um, more or less with David's discovery and um, falling in love with virtual reality. So it's a bit of a, a longer winded story, but um, when he first tried VR, he, we did a, what was it? A Bjork ex- exhibition in London, which was like incredible. It was so immersive with the music and the visual. It was just amazing. And he fell absolutely in love. I mean, he's already in love with Bjork, but he fell in love with the VR as well. Um, and it really got his cogs turning um, because he's, he's a very creative guy and he, he really felt inspired to want to create something in VR. So he was mulling over some ideas for a while. And then in the meantime, we got a VR headset and we were experiencing, you know, a few different ways that 
VR can can be used to immerse you in different experiences. And then combining that with my passion for languages and our move to Spain, David had this idea that he was going to be having Spanish lessons with um, actually one of my university friends, who she's a fantastic Spanish teacher. And um, she was coming over to visit and she was going to be helping him with some Spanish lessons while she was visiting, um, just helping him kind of get his foot in the door with the language. And he thought, well, this could be it. You know, I had the passion driving us to do something language related. And he, he had the passion with the VR and the tech side of things. And we decided to combine it. So his first real kind of experience of, of studying Spanish was actually recorded and is part of the VR co- Spanish learning course that we've actually ended up creating. So it's quite funny watching the course, the first beginner, beginner lessons, because it really is David sitting there in the lesson as the other student learning the very beginnings of, of his Spanish. And yeah, so that was kind of a very interesting way to start his, his Spanish journey. Um, and it's, it is weird that it's being immortalized in virtual reality now as well. Of course. Now I, I probably have more experience with VR than the average person. Uh, I was very lucky to, uh, be able to record, um, multiple 360 videos when I was in the YouTube space in New York. They gave me access to a lot of equipment there. Uh, so I've been able to play a little bit with VR, but I'm still, um, I'm not sure quite how the language learning aspect comes into it. So could you explain that to me? Yeah, of course. Um, you obviously know, but but anyone who hasn't tried VR, I think one thing that's really difficult to to wrap your head around until you've experienced it is just how immersive it is when you're in the headset. Um, and what we create is actually 360 video. So it's real footage of real people in real locations. But even when it's computer generated, I've seen, I've seen people playing games who are trying to, there's like a table next to them and they're trying to lean on the table and they end up falling over because it's not, you know, it's just so, the brain is just so fooled into, into believing what's being seen. Um, and so this is really, really powerful. This immersion is really, really powerful when it comes to, to learning in general. Yeah. So quite a lot of studies are being done and have been done. For example, um, the University of Stanford is doing a lot of research into the subject of learning in virtual reality and other universities as well are looking into kind of the benefits in terms of retention and things like that. It's a great way to um, get over nerves or to practice things in kind of a real life setting um, that you can then use actually in real life. But obviously in virtual reality, you don't have quite the same consequences or stakes. So quite a lot of studies are being done, have been done and are being done. You know, it's relatively new still, although obviously it's been around for a while. It's still quite a new area to be explored. So a lot of this is through the experience, the experiential learning and, and creating more tangible experiential memories. So I don't know if you've ever experienced this where you've learned a word, a new word in a foreign language, but the context in which you've learned it was like funny, or you remember the person who taught it to you or where you were when you learned it. And that's part of the connection that you've made with that word is connected to the memory of when you first encountered it. So I think building your learning around experiences really, it hits differently to, to if you're just reading or if you're just listening, it's, it's very much, um, the kind of experience that, that you expect to have if you, you know, when you go to a country to be immersed in the language, um, it's because you want to connect the learning with the experiences you're having, with the memories. And so it's, it's a very powerful, um, very powerful tool for learning and, f- and for creating memories and connecting these, 
these ideas in your mind. And another thing that I think is really useful about virtual reality is that, for example, if you're listening to a podcast, um, like in, in Spanish or whatever your language is that you're learning, you'll want to listen to it multiple times. Often you, you'll want to repeat it. And yeah, you can be doing different things while you're listening, but there's a limit to how many times you can listen to it before it starts to get a little boring or you start to zone out. And the great thing about virtual reality is in, in our 360 videos, when you're listening to, so we have classroom lessons, but we also have um, guided tours around Spain that are like more like travel experiences. So you could go to Seville, for example, and you're listening to the information that you're hit that that's being told to you about Seville and you're looking, mostly you'll be looking straight ahead. You'll look all around you. You can watch it again and decide to look in a totally different place the second time. So you're hearing the same audio, but you're having a very different experience of the video. Maybe you decide another time, I'm going to just look at the clouds and see what the sky's doing this time. So I feel like it's got more repeatability. You, you can watch these things and, and experience these things more often before it becomes that a little bit boring or a little bit less engaging because you've literally, you can look in every single direction and there's stuff going on all around you. So it's very exciting. It's very engaging. And um, I mean, I could just go on and on, but I think it really, what it boils down to is that immersion and the connection that you're having with the people that you're seeing, the places that you are, and the context in which you're learning, I think is really important and really powerful. So um, most people wouldn't have access to, or they wouldn't know, I should say, how to uh, experience VR. So like, how how do you think it's going to propagate more into people's lives? That like, uh, I, I do know that there's a very simple thing that you can, like a cardboard box for five or $10, you can set up and put your phone into it. Uh, there's very simple headsets you can get for 20 or 30 bucks that again, you can put your phone into, you don't necessarily need the, the Oculus for many hundreds of dollars. Um, but where do you see the future of VR in terms of how it's going to propagate to people? Well, Mark Zuckerberg has said that he thinks it will be as ubiquitous as uh, mobile phones. I think something along those lines. So he really sees the, the technology becoming every day. I think. Yeah, you're totally right. You can get quite a cheap headset that you can put, as long as you've got a smartphone, you can put your phone in there and it, it kind of works as a, a halfway house. Um, and we are actually going to be launching Dynamic Spanish, um, the Spanish course for this kind of mobile VR, it's called, where you put your phone in the headset. Um, it has a lot of, there are a lot of limitations to this side of the technology, but then again, it's very accessible. Um, but I do think that um, specifically in education and training, um, so for businesses and for schools, um, virtual reality, it, I, once the prices come down a little bit and they are coming down constantly, um, it's going to, it's going to be big because, you know, well, COVID has shown us that we can't rely on being able to travel. Um, we can't rely on being able to hop on a coach and go and do a school trip, um, whenever we want. So one of the great things about dynamic Spanish is that even when we were locked in our flat, unable to leave, we could because we could put the headset on and we could go and visit the Alhambra and, and you know, travel all over, all over Spain. And I think this side of things and also um, accessibility for people with accessibility um, needs. So we've actually created it um, to be able to be used by people who maybe are lying down or who are sitting in a slightly different position. Maybe they can't move in the same way. And actually this has been inspired by Dave's sister who has mobility um, issues. So, you know, we're really trying to think about it from that point of view. And I think that is going to be a really important 
direction for virtual reality to kind of go in is to give experiences. Okay, not exactly. It's not the same as going to Spain, obviously. Um, maybe if you crank up the heating a little bit, then you're going to get a bit closer to it. But it's not the same, but it's definitely better than just watching it on TV. So I think giving people experiences that they wouldn't otherwise be able to have. Um, and while while it's expensive, it's already much cheaper than, than it, it was even two, three years ago. So the prices are coming down. Every time I turn the headset on, there's been an update and the picture quality just keeps getting better. So I think um, there'll come a point where maybe, I don't know if it's going to be in every single household, but I think that, you know, a big part of virtual reality is the gaming side of things. And people are interested in gaming as much as, as much as they are, you know, I'm not a gamer. So from that point of view, if it was just a gaming platform, I probably wouldn't own one, but from the watching films, you can watch Netflix in it. You can take it on a plane and sit there and watch basically a film in a cinema. And it's much less distracting than, and and much more kind of focused. Um, So the same for education, It, it focuses you. You can't see your phone screen. You can't have YouTube on on the side of the screen while you're while you're studying on the other half of the screen. You know, you've got to focus because that's all you can see. Um, so I think there's a lot of things about it that are going to make it very popular and very useful for very, at least in education training and for giving people this access to these new experiences. That's what, yeah, that's what I think. We'll see. No, that's, that's a very good point. If anything, I think, um, you know, as technology develops, the uh, the downside is how easily distracted we are. So it's very true that I could be uh, sitting down, getting ready to study or watching a Netflix show in, in another language. And I could be tempted to just bring up Instagram on my phone. Whereas if I'm in an immersive in- environment, it kind of forces me to not get distracted because, you know, you can take your headset off, but that's more cumbersome than um, the, the convenience of just glancing down at your phone. So I can absolutely see the the benefits in that sense for people like me who are very easily distracted. And I definitely have that issue with uh, when I'm in focus mode, something that I can't escape from. It's one reason why I like language lessons, because it's a half an hour to an hour with a teacher. I obviously the teacher's going to see if I start glancing down at my phone and if I start getting distracted and looking out the window. So I'm forced to talk to this person and give them 100% of my undivided attention. So definitely see that as being uh, an advantage of VR uh, for sure. So as well as working on dynamic Spanish, uh, you've taken part in one of our Fluent in Three Months challenges. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, it was brilliant. I started it at the, towards the beginning of this year. And um, it was, I mean, it was definitely just an incredible experience. I think at that point, I'd really, I'd really taken my foot off the gas with the Spanish because, well, because at the beginning of 2021, no one was talking to anyone. So I, I know I was in Spain and, um, you know, had more opportunity than most to be practicing my Spanish, but that really wasn't the case in reality. I was very much at home, not talking to anyone. So it really gave me a boost. And I used it very specifically um, to improve my use of the past tense and the subjunctive. So I had a very specific goal because I'm very happy in general with the vocabulary that I have and um, with my use of the present and the future. But 
I just avoided speaking in the past tense. I don't know. I built it up in my head. I mean, the subjunctive, everyone's scared of the subjunctive before they really dig their teeth into it, of course. But but with the past tense, I'd made this whole big deal about it in my mind. And I just thought it's ridiculous. You know, like <laughs> you can't talk about anything you've ever done if you can't speak in the past tense. So you really need it. Um, so I decided that was going to be my focus. And I don't know. I mean, in October last year, I went to visit a friend in Seville and I, she's the Spanish teacher and I was speaking some Spanish in her presence. And then I went to see her again just before we left Spain. So in May, and she was seemingly very impressed by my progress and um, was giving me a little wink every time I used the past tense. So it worked. It obviously worked. You know, I did manage it. Um, I didn't do so well setting up a routine. I know that's a big part of what's encouraged in the challenge. And it's something that I personally struggle with generally. I'm not the most self-motivated person. And that's very apparent to me because David is so self-motivated. It's incredible. And so it's very apparent to me how, how I just don't have that, that in my personality. So in hindsight, and when I do another challenge, that is something that I will put a lot more effort into and a lot more focus on is building these routines and these habits as part of the challenge that I can carry forward. Um, but having said that, the um, dream team meetings that we had every week were fantastic. That was so great. And you know, I made actual friends during that. And um, I don't know, that, that, was, that was such a wonderful part of the challenge. Um, so supportive. The whole community was so supportive. And I was very aware that I was coming into it with, um, although it was my first challenge, I was coming into it with a higher level than, than most people do have when they start their first challenge. But I still felt that all the advice that was being floated around between other people as well was so relevant and so useful. And hearing other people encourage each other and hearing about other people's bad days or I reached out at one point because I was just really disappointed in myself that I just, I was going through the motions at one point and I just felt like oh, I'm not actually trying at all. And I don't normally try. That was the point of doing the challenge was to give myself a kick up the bum to start actually trying. And I just felt a bit, a bit down about my, about, about the whole thing. And I got so much support that it really, it really gave me a boost and making the videos that the, the zero 30, 60 and day 90 videos was really, I don't know, I thought it was really fun. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And I, I do enjoy, I really enjoy speaking. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell, but I do like talking. And so it, I think what I was lacking when I started the challenge above all else, it wasn't even the knowledge of the past tense or the knowledge of the subjunctive. It was the confidence to use those things. Um, and I'd reached a point in my Spanish where my knowledge was pretty decent, and, I, you know, what I was lacking in overall in general was confidence. And I think because I was, I'd been teaching, I mean, when the pandemic started, I, I, I didn't have my job anymore. So, so I wasn't a teacher for a while at this point, but I felt like because I was being an authority of English in the classroom, I was very um, uncomfortable then speaking Spanish in, pres in the presence of these people who I'd just been, you know, teaching English to. So I think I'd lost a lot of confidence there. Um, and so what the challenge really gave me was that confidence that I needed to just use what I already had. I, I mean, I did develop my, my knowledge and my skills, of course, but overall above everything else, it was my confidence that it really helped with. And I think it was partly from seeing people who were learning languages that were so different to their native language. So Spanish, I rely so heavily on cognates. I don't know what I'm going to do. My next, my next 
plan is to, to learn. I haven't picked one yet, but I think I'm going to learn an East Asian language and I won't have the, the 20,000 cognates to, to kind of fall back on there. So that's such a big part of, of my Spanish speaking is just saying an English word with a Spanish accent and hoping it, hoping it's right. So seeing people who were learning Japanese or Mandarin or Arabic, any of these languages was so inspiring. So, so incredibly inspiring to see their day zero video and their day 90 video. I just thought if you guys can do this, then what's my problem? Why can't I just speak Spanish? I already, I already know enough to have a conversation, like get over yourself, Katie, come on, just, just do it. And so it was, it was really, yeah, I feel like I'm gushing, but it was just, it was wonderful. And it was, I'm, I'm, it'll probably be, well, it will definitely be a highlight of the pandemic for me. If not, if not of this year, hopefully I'll be honest, hopefully there'll be a lot of other highlights for 2021 to come. Um, but for sure that was really, and when it fell, you know, timing wise, it was so great to, to be connecting in that way with so many people when, when we'd been stuck in Spain, unable to come home for so long. And, and that, that meant a lot as well. And, and so just such wonderful people. Yeah. I'll stop gushing there. Mm. No, that's great. It's great that you got so much out of it, especially the uh, unique goal of working on your past on subjunctive. And I think uh, it's, uh, it's great whenever someone takes not just the speaking goal, but some very specific a- aspect of the language they want to improve. Um, so definitely interesting to hear about that. So as you know very well, one thing we always ask people who come on the podcast is what their definition of language hacking is. So I'm curious to hear yours. You have no idea how much time I've spent thinking about this since podcast number one. I've been thinking, what am I, what would I say? What would I say if I ever go on the podcast? Um, and I think I've, I've picked fake it till you make it. I think I've got to say that, and I'm saying this from, from a point of view of someone who has only up till now learned languages that, that have all these cognates and all these connections with my native language. So I don't know if this is necessarily going to apply when I'm learning a completely different language. We'll see. I'll get back to you on that. But when I'm listening to people speaking Spanish to me, I just assume that I am understanding what's being said. And then when we get to the end, um, I'll assess, did I, did I, I think I understood. Yeah, let's go with that. Or mm, this word threw me actually. I, I was understanding everything apart from this word. So now I think I didn't understand. So my assumption is just, I understand. Yes, I understand you. I'm going to just fake it. And then hopefully I'll get there in the end. Um, and confidence comes into that a lot. And it's not, it's not an easy thing. You can't just, you, you can fake confidence for sure, but, but at the roots, if it's not there, then it's going to really inhibit your ability to speak. I think that's where it really comes in. I wouldn't have before the challenge, I wouldn't have had an issue sitting and listening to people speak Spanish and be confident to, to maybe later tell someone else what they'd said, but to be able to speak, that was much more difficult. But I think if you can just fake that you're understanding and fake that everything's great. And at the end of the day, every, all the people you're going to come across, they're going to want to help you and they're going to want you to understand. And it's going to be fun. And if you can laugh about misunderstandings and if you can just have fun with it and pretend that everything's great, then most of the time it will be. And if it's not, usually a misunderstanding isn't the end of the world. And on the rare occasion that it is, it's probably going to be a funny story or at least it, you won't forget that and you, you won't make that mistake again. But I think, yeah, that would be my number one hack 
which I'll let you know if it applies to other languages later, um, is fake it till you make it. Excellent stuff. Yeah, I absolutely agree, agree with you there. So it's been a great chat. And of course, uh, we'll have in the show notes information for um, Katie and David's uh, project, uh, Dynamic Spanish, for people who are getting into VR are interested in checking that out. And uh, of course, you'll see in the show notes links to the uh, challenge as well and um, any of uh, the uh, your, your guys' social media and such. So thank you very much. Now you guys know as uh, someone behind the scenes of the podcast. And uh, I will, of course, wish everyone listening a very happy language learning. Thank you. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.